welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Moshe Safran. He is CEO of RSIP Vision in the US. So Moshe has been with RSIP Vision for more than 11 years. In 2016, he was the head of research and development, which allowed him to provide new ways for the company to solve complex AI technological challenges. He also oversees customer communication, project management, and provides professional guidance in algorithm development, planning, and execution of new projects. As CEO, Moshe is also head of business development for the US, currently lives in Silicon Valley, and primarily reaches out to the medical device companies, which represents the company's, or should I say, largest market. Moshe, welcome. How are you doing? Okay, doing great. Thanks for having me on your podcast, James. You're very welcome, sir. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Moshe? Yeah, well, actually, uh, uh, until uh, uh, up until a few days ago, uh, I was based in Silicon Valley, but uh, I uh, I just uh, relocated with my family back to Israel. I'll be splitting my time. Oh, cool. US. Yeah, so I'm actually in uh, Jerusalem at the moment, but uh, hopefully, you know, given the COVID situation, I'll be back in California. Oh, very nice. Now, and uh, very yeah, nice. So we're living in a in a a shrinking and expanding world, I think. Yeah. In many ways, right? We can be in many places at the same time. Uh, so true. So true. And Israel, so much health tech comes out of Israel. Um, such an impressive infrastructure for building new health tech companies. So many institutional kind of things going on, accelerators and all sorts of cool stuff that goes on in health tech. I'm sure we'll we'll get into it. But uh, the way that we start these podcasts, Moshe, is, is first of all, we, we get to hear from you and, and you you tell your story. And so there's obviously lots of different things that have led you to where you are, but um, it'd be great to hear a bit more about it. So uh, by all means, uh, take it away. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we, we, we were chatting before we started of uh, where to start from. All uh, right. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no cool lemonade stand stories uh, to tell. <laughs> right? uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, just riffing off the topic of sort of... Uh, you know, multiple locations and multiple aspects of identity. So I actually grew up uh, in the U.S. Uh, when I was age 12. Uh, my family moved uh, uh, to Israel. And uh, so growing up, I think, I mean, of course, I loved, uh, you know, sports and uh, all the other stuff that uh, kids love. But uh, I uh, always felt on the one hand that uh, uh, getting more towards the professional stage of my life, that my uh, strong uh, suit was uh, uh, the mathematical uh, skills and, uh, you know, the hard science uh, aspects of things. So I, I went and I studied physics and afterwards uh, computational neuroscience. Uh, on the other hand, I was always uh, looking uh, to uh, sort of uh, take those skills and scale to apply them to something uh, that would uh, be more of a, a benefit for people or, or something in some sort of more uh, interdisciplinary uh, type of uh, activity. So first it was, uh, you know, neuroscience and uh, mysteries of the brain, et cetera. But then uh, uh, quickly I, I, I realized that uh, uh, in the medical uh, image processing in the medical computer vision uh, world, there's sort of this unique uh, opportunity to, uh, on the one hand, uh, do uh, uh, algorithm development to solve, uh, you know, uh, mathematical challenges. And on the other hand, uh, try to apply that in a very practical way uh, to actually uh, uh, hopefully help uh, support, uh, you know, improving uh, medicine. So rather than uh, just uh, uh, doing uh, academic research to really uh, uh, take things into the real world. So uh, that's how I sort of, I found myself uh, to be drawn to the areas of, uh, of activity that uh, eventually I found my way to RSIP vision. 
So 13 years ago, this was my uh, student job. Small, intimate uh, uh, group of people felt like, you know, a family business uh, almost doing super interesting stuff. Uh, uh, enjoying, we, we say, uh, you know, uh, when we have a new uh, uh, team member and uh, we, we give him uh, some uh, new task, we say, uh, uh, let, let's, let's give uh, uh, whatever, David, the opportunity to enjoy the responsibility of X, Y, and Z. So uh, nice. because it was back then a pretty uh, small group and uh, very quickly, you know, you join and you're uh, in front of, uh, of the uh, uh, medical uh, device company you're collaborating with in front of the client, uh, assuming very uh, uh, large uh, uh, responsibility, getting a lot of freedom to be creative uh, in your work. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and that was part of uh, the draw. And and the culture uh, uh, was sort of uh, uh, we're collaborating, we're helping each other. It's not a hierarchical culture. And uh, over the years, we've, of course, expanded a lot. We're a 60-plus person uh, company now. Uh, when I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, still in the R&D space, which I enjoyed an awful lot, uh, my uh, uh, last role there before moving more towards the uh, trying to become a communicator and a business developer. Uh, so my uh, last role in the R&D uh, uh, wing of the company uh, was a, a VP of R&D. I recruited uh, most of the uh, team members there, and we really try to keep things uh, sort of uh, of that uh, informal feel, uh, not just because it's fun to work that way, but because uh, if you let people take that kind of responsibility, if you step back and uh, and sort of have that uh uh, a bit of, even sometimes a bit of, of ambiguity, or, or at least sort of trying to do away with the hierarchy or with the, the processes that come, usually with uh, uh, even a company of 50 or 60 people, then people just uh, uh, do better. They, they enjoy their jobs more and they do a better job because uh, they, they actually uh, take ownership of, uh, of their tasks and of, of the problem uh, that, that uh, they're trying to solve. Uh, yeah, and over the years, uh, Again, I wouldn't have stayed so many years if I uh, uh, didn't uh, feel at home there, right? So uh, I, I'm kind of a, an introverted uh, uh, kind of guy. I don't like <laughs> the, uh, like in my current role, right? I'm, I'm talking to uh, a few uh, 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 potential clients a day uh, usually and, and current clients or, or talking to, to physicians. That's not always uh, uh, the most natural thing for me. I, I'm better at sort of the one-on-one uh, type of interactions. Um, but, uh, how did I get there? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. And it's yeah. nice that it's nice to have context. Um, mm -hmm. and it's good to, it's good to get a bit personal. So let's mm -hmm. go back to, so going back to you and your background, I think it's really yeah. interesting. I suppose the, the, the background in physics, computational neuroscience that obviously prepped you for a very interesting career, no matter what. And it seems that, you know, people that have done physics and computational neuroscience are really coming into their own right now, especially in the health tech world, because health tech, I suppose, is coming round to other technologies and mindsets and ways of doing things. And, you know, for example, the computational neuroscience is then getting blended with the domain experts to then, as you guys are doing, you know, building algorithms for image analysis and that sort of thing. And so it's really interesting, you know, they talk about you know, developers being the new rock stars and all that sort of stuff. It, you know, something like computational neuroscience gives you a real framework as well as obviously the physics and, um, and everything practically you've learned since then. I think it gives, it gives you a real, a real way of making impact in health tech and, 
it's funny that the last person I spoke to is, is a guy who's a doctor and now IBM and, and doing stuff at IBM. He's had a very varied career doing lots of different things, but you know, he was, he was saying the same things that, that, that variety is extremely important in the new generation coming through. There are many, many ways to make impact in health tech. You don't need to be, um, you know, a particular type. You don't need to have done medicine. You don't need to have gone through healthcare. You don't need to have done all that stuff. I, I think, you know, you, you can do something like computational neuroscience and make a heck of an impact and a difference. And so that's super cool. I, I think what's also cool is um, you don't need to found a company straight out of university. You don't need to go and raise hundreds of millions from VCs. Again, there is another way to make impact here. It's interesting to me that 13 years ago, that was your student job and it felt like a family. And there's been all this kind of what sounds like organic growth and actually just winning clients and getting paid for doing a thing and growing a business that way. It seems quite cool. It seems like, as I say, you don't need to have done things the the classic kind of Silicon Valley way, although I'm sure raising money helps and speed things up. But um yeah, it's, it, it, it's really interesting to me. And I think the, the final thing I'd like to say there is, yeah, you, you started there 13 years ago and and now CEO and head of lots of different things, right? Again, like it's it's encouraging to know that, that you can do that. People can rise the ranks and make all the impact that they want in lots of different ways. So have you enjoyed your journey is my question. Definitely. Yeah. So you, you, you said a lot of things. I'll try to unpack uh, some of them. So the first one is about uh, uh, making impact in health tech. Uh, mm. AI. So, right. So we're, we're, we're in the age of uh, medical AI, but we're really in the early days of that. Right. Yes, so, I and, agree. And as you said, the key is definitely bridging uh, the gap between the domain knowledge and uh, the technology. Yes. Right? So, so maybe five or 10 years ago, it was, uh, for any computer vision, it, it was uh, very important uh, uh, to, to have uh, mathematical skills to come up with new uh, mathematical models, ways to simplify uh, the way you uh, describe an image and you uh, tell the computer how to in interpret that image. Uh, today, uh, we're using uh, machine learning. It's, uh, as we said, uh, the age of AI. And uh, the, so th there's still that aspect, right? And in the academic world, there are new uh, uh, neural network models that are being developed that are inspired uh, by neuroscience. And eventually those are going to make their way uh, into the industry and into production. But the skills that are more, uh, that, that are, I say, coming to the forefront today are, is knowing how to speak multiple languages, is knowing how to bridge the gap between uh, the, the medical uh, knowledge, between the medical needs, between the language uh, that the, the med tech companies uh, speak. And these can be hardware companies uh, that may or may not have some sort of software platform in place, but they're not companies that speak the language of, uh, of uh, AI necessarily. They have uh, their own way of doing things. They understand their objectives in a very specific way. And knowing how to uh, translate that language into the language, uh, say, of our, uh, of our developers we're building uh, uh, image processing technologies. And, you know, for them, it's an image. It can be an image of a, a CT scan uh, for, uh, you know, uh, finding the bones. It can be an ultrasound of the heart. They don't look at those images very differently and knowing how, and, and of course the, the end users and, and the physicians and, and the companies uh, and the, the teams building the medical devices look uh, in a very specific way at each type of image in a very specific way to each task. There's very uh, specific medical application that needs to be solved. Some things are very important. Some things are much, less important. So knowing how to speak those 
multiple languages, knowing how to listen to each side uh, of that uh, uh, of that uh, uh, ecosystem and to bridge that gap to really create something that that works that isn't just some cool uh, widget that the engineer knows how to build uh, and that's really uh, uh, giving an effective medical result is very important and and this is something I think that we're uh, seeing in our world uh, actually uh, all over the place right so the robots are coming there's AI right neural networks are learning to do uh, much more complex computer vision tasks that. I or, or, or anybody I would uh, uh, see as my uh, role model in the classical uh, algorithms could ever dream of programming up or of modeling uh, with an explicit mathematical formula. Uh, so uh, the automation is, is getting much stronger. The mm. AI is, is learning how to solve problems itself, but what the computer can do, what we need uh, our expertise is, is translation, is translation between uh, those languages, between the language of a physician and the language that you use uh, to uh, whatever, define a training set uh, for a neural network and define a computer vision problem that you then probably will just let the computer sort of solve on its own uh, these days. Uh, uh, yeah, so that, that's on the skills side. Now, uh, the other, the other uh, uh, topic you mentioned was on the business side. And, and as you, know, you sort of uh, 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 more than hinted, our company's journey and uh, my journey within the company uh, for so many years is, is kind of unique. Uh, in the uh, health tech space or in the startup world, because uh, uh, we uh, did not start out as a startup. We didn't start out by, you know, uh, raising a pile of money and defining yep. one thing that we're going to build and, you know, making a big bet or convincing uh, some investors to make a big bet on solving one problem or on, you know, applying one uh, particular uh, uh, technology or solution. Uh, we we uh, are bootstrapped. We're uh, still bootstrapped, have been so for many years. Uh, we're you know, uh, looking at many other options uh, uh, besides that in a very active manner. <laughs> it does hold you back in some cases. But on the other hand, uh, this sort of uh, means we know how to swim in the real world, right? Yes. We know how to, how to make a profit. We know how to very uh, uh, meticulously uh, filter what is uh, important to do and what is not important. Uh, to yes. do, right? what, what's going to work and what's going to be uh, effective, uh, uh, you know, uh, today or tomorrow or within the next three years, uh, let's yeah. say. Yeah, ROI, you know, return on investment means something yeah. very different when it's your own money <laughs> yep. and it's your own yep. profit and it's, you know, your own salaries, your own payroll. Your, your, ROI means something very different, I think. It, it comes with a very different type of responsibility. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, on the other hand, you do need some appetite uh, uh, for risk. And this is something uh, we're continuously iterating in the company on <laughs> our business model of how we move up uh, that uh, uh, value chain, how we are, uh, you know, find ways to be able to take risks in order. Because if you take more of a risk, you have more of an ownership of what you've built afterwards, right? But on yeah. the other hand, doing that without breaking our company, right? Yeah. We, we've still got multiple things going on. We're building a... a, a quite a few different types of offerings, different types of solutions mm. uh, of uh, medical computer vision problems. Uh, so we sort of aim to be uh, uh, the zebra or the mobili of a uh, medical device uh, visual intelligence, right? So uh, you, you've got the, the radiology companies who are, who are building this sort of a, a very general purpose uh, platform for triage, uh, for detecting, uh, 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 you know, uh, maybe uh, uh, pathologies that were uh, uh, overlooked, uh, that kind of thing. We're more focused on uh, on the procedures and the interventions themselves, so surgical planning, surgical navigation, uh, warning systems uh, during surgery. And in that space, what we're trying to do is 
sort of uh, provide technologies that are flexible enough to be applied to many different situations, many different types of procedures, many different uh, situations. So again, not to have all our eggs in uh, one basket of uh, whatever, uh, prostate uh, fusion and, and doing that better. And then if we risk everything on that uh, and, and uh, you know, that doesn't turn out, you know, uh, what do we do with our company? On the other hand, uh, we do uh, take the uh, risks and initiatives on our own uh, and are building uh, uh, specific solutions. So Ooh. yeah, that, that's sort of more on the company and how we bootstrap our way yeah. up uh, through that space without sort of losing our past, but still uh, yeah. uh, being and able to move faster for the future. Yeah, and that really resonates with me because at the moment I'm building what looks like a communications agency called Somex. And we are solving, we're solving problems for health tech companies, startups, corporates through communication. So we're doing, uh, I mean, we do press and PR, we do multimedia content. So we do podcasts and video content and long form copy and social media. So we do, we do all this different stuff, but really, and it's interesting. So I've been saying this like internally to our team is that, whilst we fly in under the comms and PR budget, like really we're, we're just a health tech company. We're a services company for health techs. And because really we're helping them with sales. We're helping them with biz dev. We're doing some consulting. We like identify some good hires for them. Like there's loads that we end up doing. And so you end up having to, I suppose, change your because we're bootstrapping too. Right. And so you end up changing your offer to meet the needs of the market. And so that product market fit becomes quite fluid because you end up, having a really good relationship with a client, they ask you to do something differently. And then you think, oh, we could probably build a function here. And then to your point about ROI, like, oh, should we make that higher? Should we make that investment? Should we buy that software that then allows us to do that thing? And, you know, as our finance guy, my friend Ross, who, who looks at our finances with me, like, yeah, it's that sawtooth growth that you want, that kind of up and down, but trending upwards, right? And I think that's the thing when it's your own, when it's your own, you you have to speculate to accumulate, you do. And that's where the risk comes in. Like, am I going to pay for this thing that's then going to give me more capacity to bring in new people, do different things, have a different model? And it, it looks definitely like what you guys have done, looking at your website and all the different things that you do. And I'm going to ask you about RSIP in one sec. I just want to highlight one more thing you said, which is around the merging of different worlds. And I suppose that sparking that innovation, merging the domain expertise with the computational neuroscience. This is something that I'm so big on that I just, I just believe in my heart that computational neuroscientists and data scientists and also they should do ward rounds. Like they should be in yeah. hospitals. There should be a co-working space for engineers and computer scientists in hospitals where these people are just coming across problems all the time and just talking about solving them with alongside the people that experience those problems day to day. Like I, I just believe this so much that like, I just think that is the way forward because, and like what you said, and you said it really nicely that it's about being able to speak different languages. And that's so true. It's amazing. Like when we have, whenever we have physicists on here, it ends up being so profound, but like, it's true that, that, that there's something in, being able to talk different languages that means you can relate to different communities, which, which is what computers can't do. And it's always physicists that can always articulate this very well, that like there is a bit that computers can't do. And that's the bit that we need to, to double down on. Um, 
which I suppose brings us back to the to the bootstrapping element. That's what we do in the companies, right? <laughs> Something that yeah. we feel like we can double down on. We'll really invest in it um, to get us more return. But I, I thought that was just wonderfully put, and and I I think um, I think could lead to a lot of good impact. I really do. Thanks. Yeah, we we do try to get to at least our team leaders and our management people to get them more to hospitals and also to bring the hospital to to us. Yes, we recruit you know uh, uh, doctors and uh, NMDs and and yes. as consultants and talk to them and you know listen to them as much as possible. We recruit medical students not only to like do image annotation and that kind mm. of thing to to teach uh, the neural networks uh, and and to do the grunt work, but also to teach us so we have regular lectures, uh, uh, either, either by our, our consultants or uh, sometimes, you know, just for the basic uh, knowledge yes. of the, the development team, they should just have the basic knowledge of the medical context of uh, the, the software that they're building. Even if 97% yes. of their time has got to be spent on writing code and talking about that code and, and, you know, planning it up and all that, they still need that context at the basic uh, level to understand why it is that they're building what they are building, uh, and of course, knowing how to balance that, you know, balance uh, focus and a number of contexts, which is uh, required uh, with uh, uh, the, the need for context, right? So generally, uh, the more somebody's uh, actually implementing something or writing code, uh, the more they need a, a focus. So you, you can't ask them to switch context too much uh, yes. or to, to take on too many topics. The more somebody's got to be managing something, something uh, the more context switches they're not going to need mm. uh, to, uh, you know, to be able to execute uh, in order to, you know, uh, provide the right uh, focus and the right guidance to uh, their team. And then uh, uh, when you get, uh, you know, more to the business side of the company, then eventually sort of the context which has became, become the bulk of the work. So actually most of what you're doing is what's called context switching. For a developer, a context switch is a waste of time, right? It's, it's an mm. effort. You switch from one context to another, and then you got to remember what you're doing and you got to get into a, whatever, a whole new piece of code. Uh, and then you got to, you know, refocus uh, to uh, whatever to solve to solve the problem and to write you know uh, an elegant piece of software uh, and to make it accurate and, and not buggy and then uh, when you're more uh, people in the company who are more in management or in communication roles uh, then knowing how to switch context uh, quickly is really becomes most of what their job is because again it's that communication it's that bridging the gap between uh, what the the MD or the user needs to see. Uh, and and what uh, your team needs to be building. Sometimes it's even so. Uh, the client we our our clients are we we don't sell to the hospitals. We're not building a huge sales force of sure. two thousand. They're going to go to hospitals and, and get them to use a piece of software. Our clients uh, right now or our partners or collaborators are the medical device companies. And right. those companies, on the one hand, you'd say yeah they they know uh, it's true they know the user needs they have that. Uh, uh, you know, foundation and resource of, uh, you know, of go-to-market and being in the hospitals. But on the other hand, sometimes we will bring a radiology uh, to the conversation. We're talking to, a, a you know, an, an R&D manager or, or, or you know, a, a VP of R&D or, or, or a, a director of R&D from a, a med device company. And sometimes uh, they don't have enough physician time uh, uh, on their own, even though they're from the company that's building the actual device and that's, uh, you know, in the hospitals. Sometimes even within these corporations, there can be uh, uh, not enough of a connection between the medical side uh, uh, and, and, uh, and the technological side. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's and it's good that you, it's, but it's nice and, that you're aware of that, you know, and I think I think it's it's so important when you're building a company that's there to service 
both sides essentially i mean you're you are servicing the demand siders and you're giving them the problem but at the same time you have yep. to know the technical in order to do things properly you have to have an employer brand to attract the right people so you need to be doing things in the in the proper way in in the technological mm-hmm. world too right so you are playing on both sides yep. it is so important to know how things go together i think it's interesting for motivation as well because i remember I've spoken to lots of startups on this podcast, um, as you can imagine, but I can remember, I can't remember who it was now, but I can remember the the conversation around the fact that when you're looking at lines and lines and lines of code all day, it, it is difficult to remember your why. It is difficult to remember why it is you're doing what you're actually doing, but they bring in patients and they bring in patients that have used the tech that have, that eventually turns into and they they get them to do talks of, of like, this is how it has saved my life. This is how it has improved my life. This is why I can now play sport or play with my kids or hold my grandkids, you know, and that it creates like a, just a connection in the brain that they can, they can literally map it in that instant of like, Oh, that's why I've done all that stuff. And this is what it leads to. And, you know, it's, it's, you've got to be careful not to be too gimmicky about it and too kind of, you know, too much like that, but and, and, you know, overclaim and all that stuff. But, but at the end of the day, like that is why we're in health tech. That is why we can attract talent. It is why a lot of people will do what they do and not everyone's motivated slightly differently, but I think everyone can get on board with the fact that, you know, there is some unity to humanity at some point. We do all want the best for each other on some level, <laughs> most people anyway. Um, so I think it's nice. I think, I think that is cool, but I'm going to move on to, I'm move us on to talk about the company. So tell, tell us the sort of, the top line, RSIP, what is it? What do you build? Who do you build it for? Let's go super basic to begin with and build from there. Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, uh, RSIP, uh, at the super basic level, we uh, provide visual intelligence for medical devices. right? So it means we use uh, software, AI, uh, and computer vision algorithms uh, to make uh, medical devices uh, smarter, to provide automated uh, interpretation of uh, medical images. So this could be uh, a CT and our software will use that CT scan or even an X-ray without having a CT, uh, but we'll be using that patient imaging uh, to create a, a automatically a 3D model of the patient anatomy. That 3D model uh, and those interest points that we'll automatically find in the anatomy can be used to plan, for instance, a joint replacement surgery, or that 3D model can be used to plan uh, a bronchoscopy and to plan the navigation in that uh, bronchoscopy. Uh, we do a lot of work on intraoperative imaging and real-time imaging that's coming in, for instance, uh, from a laparoscopic camera or from a camera uh, that's going through the colon. And then we provide software that uh, uh, will detect uh, specific types of lesions uh, in the colon uh, and uh, uh, give uh, some sort of classification. Again, we won't call it diagnosis. Again, you mentioned the overpromising thing. So to yeah. provide, for instance, a diagnostic aid uh, for that yeah. use or to provide a safety warning for say a laparoscopic surgery, right? So we have a computer vision engine under the hood that's uh, uh, detecting a particular type of events that are happening during the surgery or, or is tracking a particular type of the anatomy wow. see what's happening and then we'll provide a, a, some sort of a, a warning. Uh, so yeah, and, and our vision really, so in the, in the medtech imaging or the medtech AI space, right? Uh, one way to, to map it out is sort of to, to map it out on two axes. So you have the static versus the dynamic axis, right? So on the yep. static end of the spectrum, you have, say, uh, the triage or, or the diagnostic uh, part. So like what uh, uh, IDOC and, and Zebra and uh, even Viz AI are doing, right? Yeah. To, 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 to help uh, uh, flag 
some uh, uh, potential problem or uh, to help uh, diagnose uh, something to uh, save radiologists lots of uh, time in the workflow, or there's the whole you know huge space which we're not playing in right now of digital pathology, right? So again, to, to automate pathology workflow. So those platforms are are getting fairly mature. They've got tons of data, fairly flexible. They've you know got apps one after the the other, right? So. Uh, 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 these started out with a, a large vessel occlusion. Uh, they got five or six of them. Uh, but on the other hand, they're sort of uh, uh, less related to the interventions and to the procedures themselves, right? They're more, more sort of on the, I'd call it the static side or the uh, uh, diagnostic uh, or diagnostic support side. And then uh, the other axis uh, besides, uh, you know, static versus dynamic, the other axis you could say is a, a focused or, or use case specific versus uh, general. Right, so uh, again, I mentioned the prostate fusion, right? So you have companies that have actually been around uh, for a long time that are providing a, a one particular solution that is used intraoperatively, right? So uh, for prostate fusion, if you have a pre-op image, an MRI of the prostate, you can see where the lesions are. And then during the procedure, uh, the doctor needs to uh, do a biopsy and then you fuse that with an ultrasound that's taken during the biopsy uh, acquisition uh, so that you can know where the lesions are uh, during the biopsy. And there are uh, classical computer vision technologies for that. And these days there are uh, deep learning based solutions that uh, people are trying to build. Uh, now the, the companies that are doing that tend to be a sort of uh, called the one trick pony, right? Because they're working uh, during uh, for an intraoperative uh, application because they're working for an application that's uh, very closely tied to an intervention or to a surgery. Uh, that's a lot of work to get that to work well. Uh, so typically that's going to be a, a sort of single use case uh, solution and, and there could, you know, there are countless uh, startups and, and even longstanding companies uh, that are doing that. Now, what we're, uh, what we're uh, trying to do and the, the sort of position that we're found ourselves in because of our history, long history as a company, as, you know, a sort of, uh, you mentioned a, a service provider for algorithms, because we have this long history and this wide client base of all these projects that we've done. What we're uh, trying to do now that there's AI, now that you can build one solution and really it's an engine that can be applied to 10 other different solutions. And because we understand that innovation process very well, because we've done so many different uh, collaborations in, in different fields of medical imaging, we're trying uh, to be sort of on the, the, the upper right quadrant of those axes. So again, you have the right. bottom axis. That's static versus interventional yeah. and that specific versus general. So we're trying to be the, uh, interventional uh, general uh, purpose one. And the, the shortcut or, or the trick that we're using to get there is, a, again, as I said, we're uh, uh, providing our solutions to the medical device companies, not directly uh, to the hospitals, right? So we, we're providing that capability. So, you know, you have a computer, it says Intel inside, right? You have a car, there's Mobileye in that car, right? So what we're trying to get at, and again, we're, we're, we're iterating on that, you know, I don't know even if to call it the business model or that place we want to be uh, to how that works business-wise and, and how narrow we've got to be and how wide we really can be. But we're trying to provide that uh, core capability of visual intelligence to the medical device uh, uh, companies in multiple fields uh, in a way that we can be both general and still work with the interventional use cases that frankly, we're just used to working and that's just been the best uh, business for us uh, so yeah. far. Where we've generated the most interest, uh, so that that's sort of a. Uh, I hope that's not too uh, too abstract, but that's sort of the uh, on, on a more philosophical level where we're trying to get to as a business. 
And yeah. there are different ways to tweak that in terms of, right? So, so in orthopedics, we're building a, a suite of very specific pro- products, but there's a bunch of them, right? There's not, mm. not one, and those are for the implant companies, for the planning companies, for the uh, uh, med device uh, uh, companies. Uh, in in uh, endoscopy, it's more uh, collaborations, uh, uh, JVs, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but again, building off of engines we've already built, building off of technologies that we already are seeing are, are widely applicable, again, because it's AI, because you can retrain uh, on a new task and a new type of images, and you can leverage a lot of what you've already done and what you've already built, not only leveraging uh, your personal experience or a team's experience, but really leveraging the technology uh, to apply it to a new use case. Uh, yeah, I hope that wasn't too much of a mouthful, James, but but sort of trying to get at where, where we're shooting to, uh, to be as a company and where we feel the opportunity is here. Yeah. I get it. I get it. And this is the health tech podcast, Moshe. So this is the place to be to, uh, to, to, to tell the story in all its glory. But I suppose to, to, to pull it back and just to think about the, just the value of this, because for me, I've got an understanding of, of what this is. And you're taking almost like a platform approach. And as you say, it's you're building solutions upon engines that have been built that, that like, there's a lot of defensibility in, in what you do for the complexity of the technology, seemingly. Um, and just on your website now, like, for example, I've just looked at the automated assessment of cartilage damage and the fact that your software is automating the measurement of, college, uh, of cartilage in MRI scans of the knee in this case. Um, and, I sp- and, and so that if, if I've understood this correctly, so... It's the fact that you, your software is able to take those MRI scans and extremely accurately determine which tissue is which at a very, very, very clear, uh, like accuracy, I would say, and level in terms of, you know, sub millimeter accuracy. Therefore, with that being the technology, there's lots of problems that can then solve, whether that's figuring out the size of a, pro- uh, of, of a particular surgical implant or um, determining what surgery actually needs to be done yeah. based on the location of which tissue is which. But it seems to me that in this example anyway, the innovation is that sub-millimeter accuracy and defining which tissue is which. Have I understood that correctly? Yes, it, it's true. I think that's a good example. So under the hood, the, the basis of all this is doing accurate image segmentation, is knowing how Fine. to create a module that does uh, accurate and quick uh, segmentation of medical images, mm. knows exactly where the cartilage is and learns uh, from the context of the images and of the training data it's provided uh, to, to do that uh, segmentation. Once you have uh, that uh, model, then on top of that, uh, uh, doing uh, uh, the measurements or uh, looking at this as a classification problem uh, of you know, predicting which uh, type of procedure a patient should undergo, or on the other hand, uh, using that to plan a joint replacement, that's yeah. post-processing on top of that, right? That, that can turn into a relatively straightforward set of rules that you could communicate. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. How they should be defined. Uh, and then again, under the hood, this one is image segmentation. We've got three core technologies we use for many of what things we do, not everything we do, mm. which is segmentation, registration, and reconstruction. Uh, that image segmentation is under the hood, 
not all that different from the way we are creating a 3D model of the airway tree and of the detailed airways in the lung, right? So we're leveraging the Spore engine and uh, customizing it or applying it to many different uh, apps, sort of what like what you'll see uh, on, yeah. on Zebra. And, and again, that's one concept. We're not married to this platform concept, yep. right? It's not all we do. Yep. We do you know, more uh, groundbreaking, innovative things that won't fall under that, uh, uh, that roof of those three you know, core uh, capabilities. Uh, we, we've got uh, initiatives that we're both taking, some of them taking on internally and some of them in collaboration with uh, medtech companies that, are, uh, that go beyond just segmenting a new type of image or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Because again, we're flexible and we're, we're doing this constant search of where to place ourselves in the medtech ecosystem uh, to make our contribution with our technology and, uh, you know, to keep uh, uh, bootstrapping up our business and not only bootstrapping up our business, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, growing our business in, in the best way. Uh, yeah, definitely. And that's an interesting challenge then, isn't it, as to where this does fit in and the, and the approach that you've taken from a business model perspective is you've sort of gone upstream to the uh, to the medical device companies to give them the technology, which to be fair, seems extremely sensible and the proof's in the pudding in the size of your company. But clearly what those companies can then do when they sell to uh, healthcare uh, providers is that they can they can more clearly solve a problem end-to-end for a provider. Therefore, they're not, being that provider, you're then not having to procure your service as well as their service or you know, it's easier, I think, to make impact when the mm-hmm. deal for a healthcare provider is just one deal that solves a problem rather than the healthcare provider themselves having to be tasked with putting together all the different technology along that clinical workflow in order to make something work. It's something that I saw actually quite a lot when I was running, when I was running accelerators, actually, when I was running um, Digital Health at London and when I was running HS, like those two accelerators, like we had, we had startups on there that would so often partner with each other in order to approach a provider because Mm -hmm. there was just no value in them going individually because they only sold half a problem each for that provider, right? For some providers, they would solve the whole problem, but there are a lot of examples whereby when they clubbed together and they said, look, as a package, we solve this problem for you end to end you will see this ROI and this is the metric that will change. It becomes just a much cleaner sell, I think. And it seems to me that that perhaps could be done more. I mean, I'm not as close to it now that I don't run accelerators, but still it's something that we see even as part of, you know, SOMEX and the agency now, like you you end up putting these partnerships together with some of the clients because you, you just know instinctively that, oh, we know what their feedback from the last sales meeting was. Like we know what would help in future. Like, and I've got context from being on that side of the table too. That's like, well, they said that, but I what they really mean is this. And actually if we partner with these, then, we could we could probably solve their problem end to end, and I think yeah, it, it seems like an interesting approach. Is it an approach that you sort of started with? Was a lot was there a lot of trial and error in getting there? Uh, I think uh, the the reason we sort of fell upon this approach was uh, just uh, more due to the history uh, of the company, right? Okay. You know, a, a bootstrapped company as a company that's trying to make a profit and that's working with multiple clients one at a time and then so whoever's going to pay right <laughs> yeah exactly so that that's how it started 
But I think even like uh, if you're if you're a health tech startup, right, a medtech uh, startup, a medtech AI startup, or whatever, even a medtech yep. hardware, startup, you always got to ask yourself how you're going to balance between first of all focusing on your core competency, right? So you want to focus as much of your time and effort as you can on on your technology, on what yes. you know, whatever it is that that's special that you're offering to the world. And then on the other hand, you need to hear feedback from the outside world. Right, so so a, a medtech startup maybe uh, in order to get to, to get acquired or even to get a, around needs to prove that it's uh, succeeded. Now to prove that it's succeeded, it needs to generate enough interest uh, uh, in the healthcare provider world. But if that's going to mean that you need to build this whole uh, uh, sales force and this whole huge uh, um, marketing effort of uh, of going uh, and working with those providers and convincing those providers to bother working with you, uh, then again you're replicating something that any medtech company has to do, right? So you need, you do need to get that specific feedback on your product. And the only way to do, do it is get out of the building, so to speak, and to talk uh, to users or to talk to someone who's close enough to users. On the other hand, if, if uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, 80% uh, of the money that's invested in your company is not going to go to building the solution and building the technology or, or even to, you know, uh, learning how to merge that technology with the medical uh, needs and the medical aspects, but if 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 uh, most of that money is going to, uh, you know, uh, selling uh, uh, to hospitals, then you're doing something that the 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 med, the med tech giants have already done, and they're already doing much better than you. They're much bigger. They've got access to yeah. their uh, users, to their doctors, to their to their uh, physicians, to their hospitals. So it, I think it doesn't make sense to to piggyback on that and and bring the added value uh, of the of the uh, of the technology. Uh, to that uh, uh, pre-existing capability. I mean, the other day we were talking with uh, a fairly new uh, medtech giant uh, mm -hmm. in the Asia Pacific space, mm -hmm. not, not in the U.S. market, and they 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 sort of did the converse of what I'm describing for RSIP, right? They said we we're we're a sales first, right? We're going to build the sales force and get access to as many hospitals in these uh, uh, APEC uh, countries as as we want. We, we, we're going to build the access, uh, uh, that, that access uh, to the uh, uh, buyers of our technology. Mm. The technology itself, no problem. We'll acquire companies. You know, we'll, we'll outsource it, whatever. We'll, we'll find somebody else who, who will actually build the devices, right, uh, themselves. We're just, we're, we're a medtech company. Uh, yeah. We're going to be a J&J of the East or, or, or a BSCI of the East. And what's a medtech company? A medtech company is, is, is a sales force. Uh, for for hospitals is is just the user. So I said, you know, before I said our, our managers are doing only context switching, right? So <laughs> it's sort of analogous, right? Uh, so that that's a bit so so our core competency is you know uh, solving medical computer vision problems in an effective way is is bridging the gap between the medical and the technological and building great algorithms, right? So awesome. uh, we 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 take that to the companies whose core competency is having access uh, uh, to those yeah. numbers and, and, you know, we, we sort of uh, try to ride on that. Yeah. And then everyone does what they're good at and for most of the part, and then everyone's as well, the system's as efficient as possible, which is ideal. So final question then, what's next for you guys? What have you got on the table? What are you looking at? What's exciting? Give us the scoop. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I can't scoop uh, our, uh, <laughs> that's, that's planned for, for something like 10 days from now. Uh, <laughs> we can hear some more about uh, uh, orthopedics uh, pretty soon. Cool. Uh, as you probably know, there's a, a big uh, 
uh, ortho uh, uh, conference, conference yeah, the yeah. it's the biggest one usually the biggest one of all so uh, this year uh, yeah it might be a little bit different than uh, <laughs> you know uh, three or four years ago uh, because we, we've got the delta variant and all but you're, you're definitely yeah. more specific models uh, 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 specific modules for orthopedics uh, like the, the cartilage segmentation one you mentioned uh, you can hear um, more of those uh, and then uh, further uh, uh, further down the road hopefully uh, for uh, other fields as well, uh, we'll be hearing uh, announcements in uh, uh, urology, uh, possibly also endoscopic, other endoscopic uh, fields, uh, again, of uh, specific uh, uh, technologies uh, uh, for AI. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Moshe, we have lots of pe- different people that listen to this podcast from the from the corporate world, the medical device world, the investment world, the, the, the provider world, like every, everyone listens to us. Like so... Well, if if you're looking to get in touch with people, who is it? Who is it you're after? Who who who's useful for the company? Do you want to do any sort of shout outs for anybody to get in touch with you? So yeah, the first answer that comes to mind is all of the above, right? So <laughs> of course, uh, first of all, the medtech world and the medical device uh, world, uh, but we're also looking uh, uh, for uh, key opinion leaders and leading uh, surgeons who are interested in uh, AI and applying AI to their field of expertise within uh, uh, endoscopy, within orthopedics, uh, within uh, cardiology. Uh, so looking to talk to uh, those guys as well, whether you're already working with medtech companies or interested in working uh, with medtech companies on using AI and computer vision software to solve problems that you are seeing every day and that you've been thinking about a lot over the years, then we'll be very happy uh, uh, to talk to you. And uh, the investment world as well. Uh, you're also uh, very uh, welcome uh, to drop us a line because uh, I really think uh, there's a, a very big opportunity that uh, we've been seeing for, for a few years already uh, in the uh, Medtech AI space. And good idea to hop on the train uh, early before it's too late. Very cool. Uh, and finally, if people do want to learn more, what is the best place for them to do so? So uh, the, to, to, for starters, you can take a look at our website just to sort of uh, see the, the, the basic uh, technologies that we're offering. Uh, but it's, it's a good idea to uh, keep track of us over LinkedIn on the RSAP uh, Vision LinkedIn feed, on my LinkedIn feed, uh, feeds of, uh, of some of my colleagues, our, our CTO, our CEO, our VP of BizDev. Uh, so take a look at LinkedIn. That's really, uh, if you ask us social uh, networks, then we, we're active on three of them, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn. Uh, our our webinars and stuff are also on youtube uh, etc because you know it's a video but uh and and feel free also to have live the reason we like linkedin is because uh you can you can you know share content share a video share articles we do that a lot but it's very easy also to talk right yeah drop drop a message to to whoever you've seen shared it and we're we're very we're very uh very accessible uh to talk to us you'll you'll see already who's uh, active and who's uh, uh in our company uh, doing that kind of things and you know just uh, drop us a line and and you know reach out with any questions awesome most it's been a pleasure thank you so much for coming on it sounds awesome what you guys are up to the the, the capabilities that you guys have got seem extremely far-reaching and uh, lots of different problems that you can solve for those medical device companies and in turn they can then solve for the providers which gets the patients so yeah huge fan of what you guys are doing and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on Thank you very much, James. Pleasure talking to you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.